0: I like to say in fair play, right? We've conditioned women to treat their time like it's infinite, like sand. And we've conditioned men and society to treat men's time as if it's finite, like diamonds. And if you don't believe me, health systems for young mothers, for new mothers are telling women that breastfeeding is free when it's 1,800 hours a year. It's a full-time job. If you don't believe me, just watch what happens when women enter male professions. Salaries automatically come down since birth, women have heard these messages that our time is less valuable. And so we internalize those messages and we say to ourselves, my job is more flexible. So I should be the one picking up our child from school or taking the step back. We say to ourselves in the time it takes me to tell him her, they what to do, I should do it myself. So all I can tell you, Caitlin, is we're not Albert Einstein, right? We can't fuck with the space-time continuum. That fundamental unfairness is what has to change. My time is diamonds and that's what I care about. That's the boundary we're talking about today. Ready to rock and roll? Yes, let's rock and roll. All right, let's
1: fucking blow the doors off (laughs) this (laughs) thingy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have somebody who's just... amazing woman. Her name is Eve Rodsky. If you are not following her on Instagram or you haven't read one of her books or seen her documentary called Fair Play, you need to. Um, Eve is educated with her BA at the University of Michigan. She has her JD from Harvard Law School. So she is no fucking slouch in the academic category here. She worked for a long time in the corporate world and has shifted her life and has become, you know, a voice and a conversation starter around changing the script for women um, in uh, recognizing how unequal the labor in the division of labor is within a household as it pertains to domestic responsibilities and childcare. Hi, Eve.
0: Hi. Uh, this is so exciting. I'm really excited to talk to you. Same. Um, Even just looking at you makes me laugh because you're like one of the funniest people. Oh, thank you. I feel like you're like a mirror in terms of having rigor and humor um, as I've listened to you. So I appreciate appreciate that combination and I appreciate being here with you today.
1: Oh my gosh. That's so flattering because you are really a true badass. I mean... You are also you've been on the rounds like you're pretty famous. You've been uh, you were just with Drew Barrymore on her show. I saw you there. Your buddies with Reese Witherspoon. I see that. Um so you've been obviously noticed for great reasons. Um before we get into like the breadth of all of that work, I wanted to ask you like to go in a little bit about your upbringing cuz I saw your documentary and um I didn't realize that you had come from such a, a tough upbringing. So will you like just give everybody your background a little bit?
0: Well, I appreciate that. Um, Caitlin, you know, I, I didn't set out to be an expert on the gender division of labor, right? I mean, that wasn't what was on my third grade. What do you want to be when you grow up bored? Um, but yeah, that what I think what I wanted to be when I grow up, what, when I was at a school called PS 40, which was on the lower East side of New York, um, was I wanted to have a different life than my mom did. Uh, We came out, my mother came out of a strictly Orthodox Jewish family. And because she chose a different life um, and my father left her when she was pregnant with my brother and I was three at the time, uh, she had to raise us um, on a social worker's salary. We lived in a rent stabilized apartment uh, on Avenue C and 14th Street, which is the Lower East Side. Um, And I watched her do it all, Caitlin. Um, and it was a hard. It was hard because it was New York City, in in the eighties. And we actually had the first methadone clinic, one of the most important methadone clinics on our corner. And so we got to see the beginning of of AIDS. Um, so I remember there would be people looking really sick on my corner. And I actually found my journal from that time around third grade, saying things like, "There's a new disease, and I and I don't want to die from it." So um, I think growing up in that type of environment uh, where you see a single mother trying to hold it together and do it all Uh, you know, we were waiting for our father to show up for his Kentucky fried chicken nights on Wednesdays. And you know, he, he would show up maybe 25% of the time. Um, I ended up having a disabled younger brother whose disabilities and autism was never captured um, due to just being pushed ahead in the New York city public schools at that time. So I do think it created an empathy for me of saying to myself that I wanted an equal partner in life, that I wanted to do it differently, that I wanted um, not to be home alone till nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night because my mother worked nights. So I did have this dream that I would find an equal partner. And Caitlin, I want to just tell you that I did, you know, Seth, my husband, he was an equal partner before kids. I mean, I was able to sort of shape that life and have somebody who supported my career and we could say we were killing it together and he would bring in food one night and I would do the laundry and we would switch. Everything felt in place based on that upbringing, you know, obviously until kids came along and everything um, fell apart as I write about in Fair Play. But that was sort of the lens in which um, I come to this work. Why do you think
1: it is that everything shifted after kids. Like what was it? Is it societal? Was it, obviously it's not just specific to your relationship because this is very relatable.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was so shocking to me, I think, because, you know, I, I feel like if I can tell you the time where I had the biggest dreams, Caitlin, you know, it would have been, you gave me that kind introduction, but I remember Elizabeth Warren did our, um, she did our orientation Uh, And she's obviously now a senator. She was a professor at Harvard Law School when I was there. But this was 1999. And I remember she asked us all what we wanted to do with our law degree. And um, I legit said that I was going to be president of the United States, that I wanted to be a U.S. senator from New York, um, and I wanted to still fulfill my dreams as a Nick City dancer. (laughs) Like, and I probably could do it all at once. You're so rangy. So rangy. I I did feel like you could issue your executive orders after you legislate, you know, and you could fly Air Force One in for that, you know, to the iconic Madison Square Garden, change for state dinners. And I, I think it's important to say that because whoever's listening, you know, whether they're in our life stage, I'm resolutely Gen X or coming behind us where I can be the ghost of your Christmas future. I think what's important to recognize and honor is that I did have big dreams. Yeah. And I thought I would be smashing these glass ceilings one by one, but really what all I can tell you, right, is if you look from 1999 to when I had my breakdown that started fair play in 2011, in that decade, really the only thing I had smashed, I did well. I mean, I had a nice job. I wasn't president. But the only thing I was really smashing was peas for my toddler Zach. You know, breastfeeding a baby Ben. Completely overwhelmed and confused by how I got into the situation, trying to negotiate with my, the bank I worked for at the time, uh, what my my return to work would look like after maternity leave. Hearing that my direct reports would be taken away from me, that um, if I wanted to pump, um, I would have to do it in a broom closet, a converted broom closet that had no outlets. So I would need to bring a battery pack. I mean, it was just um, a cloud of abandonment and dysfunction in my workplace and how they treated me after having my second kid. Um, but also, I think what I didn't expect, Caitlin, was just um, the level of apathy um, and disinterest in the actual nitty gritty of caretaking that Seth um, showed up with, especially you know at, with two kids. Uh, that that was shocking.
1: And not just Seth, obviously, like your workplace as well. Like it's it's society, right? It's just, this is no big deal. You got this, right? Like, I don't need to help. You're the one having the baby. You can do all of this. Figure it out, right?
0: Figure it out. Figure it out. And if you're so overwhelmed, just get help. That was another big message out there, I think, from women who came before me. And it's a very complicated message, this idea that women could just outsource everything because A- and we'll talk about fair play. What I realized from actually illuminating un- the unpaid labor in our home, which is what fair play became, that we can't outsource about 50% of the tasks that it takes to caregive um, in our lives. And on top of that, that messaging, if you're so overwhelmed, just get help, meant A, that my partner didn't have to deal with it, that I would have to manage that help. And on top of it, that it implied that as a white woman, a white presenting woman, I'm Jewish, but I'm white presenting, that I would be uh, building my, my career on the backs of undervalued labor of black and brown women. So I think the messages I heard at the time, outsource, 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 or you got this, you're Gen Z, you know, having it all means doing it all. You have it so much better than your than your mom did. Look, your mom did as a single mother, or at least you have Seth in the house and he cares, Mm -hmm. it was just also uh, limiting and um, essentialistic and sad because the, um, what I call the assumption tax, this gender binary um, that women do caregiving, that we're better at it, than in the time it takes us to tell him, her, they, what to do, we should do it ourselves. And what I realized, Caitlin, is that the societal messaging that forces us to be the she fault parents um, because two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family still falls on women, regardless of whether we work outside the home, that statistic that I was undeniably living that I did not even hear about or know is something that is not about anything. It's not about money. It's not about anything other than the fact that this is a gender binary and women are expected to do certain things in our society.
1: Yeah, and the guilt that we are kind of made to feel because everything about motherhood is supposed to be joyful, right? Right. Everything is supposed to be our pleasure to do for our families. So how could you complain? How could you vent, right? This doesn't line up with the script that everybody wants to hear about what it's like to really be a mom.
0: And also on top of it... um, I I knew that most people don't write their memoirs, Caitlin, because they don't want to talk about people who are living. Right, And so for me to bring to light what happened with Fair Play, which was started again with breaking down over these issues, thinking to myself, I can't live like this um, to the point where I decided to write about it. Um, That was about a six year process. And during the way, along that way of having to write about my Fair Play journey, it meant that I was going to be writing about Seth in a very real way. And I think the problem is with women, we're taught not to criticize our partners. So even when I would ask them in private... Why does the work? Why are you feeling so overwhelmed? Why is the work in your relationship so unbalanced? The first thing women would say to me who are married to men were, "I love my husband. He's such a great guy." Like the, God forbid you criticize our partnership. Um that would mean that that you know you were also failing because part of the image of being a perfect mother is a- also being a perfect partner and a per- perfect professional. And if women aren't parents, and or partners and or professionals and i mean by professional anybody who works for pay or unpaid in the home if we go outside those roles or we don't present perfection in those three areas then society really pushes back on us they don't want to hear that we're interested in being an acrobat an acrobat or a horseback rider like society doesn't give a shit about or women. next
1: dancer and Or next president. dancer
0: or president. I mean, maybe president because that's a professional role. But outside those roles as a parent, partner, or professional, the guilt and shame that society gives to you, who's watching your kids? Oh, must be nice. Look at this spa day. Um, you leave your kids on the weekend. Anywhere you go, you will be uh, doused in guilt and shame if you try to escape from those three roles or talk about th- those three roles in any way that feels real. Thank God for you. If I had had people like you in 2011, I would have felt resolutely less alone. But I was breaking down in 2011 when my bank was taking away my direct reports and I decided to ultimately quit. At that same time, I talk about this in fair play, right? Seth decides to send me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries and that text, mm-hmm. that's like the beginning of the end, right? That's That was the beginning of the end for me. Even though I knew guilt and shame, I was going to be late to pick up Zach from his toddler transition program. But I still remember, I will v- always remember that day. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries pulling over to the side of the road and seeing the breast pump in the diaper bag on the passenger seat of my car. this just profound understanding, Caitlin, that I was no longer like Eve. I was Zach's mom and I was um, the, the fulfiller of Seth's smoothie needs. Like that's sort of where I was supposed to be in my life and be happy and joyful about it. And I wasn't going to do that. I was not going to live like that anymore. Do you think if he had just worded that text differently,
1: (laughs) we have to thank Seth for sending that shitty text to you for unveiling. Passive aggressive bullshit.
0: what the fuck, said? What the fuck, Seth? Right around the Blueberries text, I went on a breast cancer march, 10 women, strong-ass women, stronger than me, right? Like a head of stroke and trauma at a big hospital, an Oscar-winning producer. The phenomenon of having noon hit and us all turning into pumpkins, like the opposite of Cinderella... Where I was watching the women, not all were married to men, but they were all dealing with the same things. They were all getting inundated with texts that I talk about, right? Like, where is the baby? When's the babysitter Some coming? Some obs-
1: obscene amount of texts
0: came through, right? Obscene, obscene. My like, again, when are you coming home from the parade? Um, where is Hudson's soccer bag? Did you leave me a perfectly wrapped gift for this birthday party? Do you want me to take our kids? My friend Kate's husband, which I screenshotted because it was screenshot is the best text I've ever gotten in my life or watched. And her text from her partner was, do the kids need to eat lunch? (laughs) That that would have also been a day that would have woken me up if I hadn't had the blueberries day because what I asked those women to do, because all those beautiful women with big voices left me, right? To bring the perfectly wrapped gift to the birthday party and to feed their kids lunch. Nobody stayed for lunch that day. But they did agree to help me count up the phone calls and texts we received. And then as I talk about in the documentary, 30 phone calls, 46 texts for 10 women over 30 minutes. So yes, I think that to answer your question or to answer that statement you made, I think that day would have been another nail in the coffin for my life before Fair Play because of of all these strong women not using their voice to... Speak up to even just spend one more hour together, you know, to run home to fulfill our obligations. It was just too much for me to to see.
1: Let me ask you because as you're describing this, like I'm hearing, there's these women who are like very powerful, also equal, if not breadwinner contributors to the financial um, success of the home. Now, how do you think this conversation is for a family where? The mother is solely a stay-at-home mother, and the father is fully the breadwinner and provider.
0: Well, first of all, the what the most important thing I need to explain um, is that the fair play movement is about this idea that an hour holding our child's hand in the pediatrician's office is just as valuable as an hour in the boardroom.
1: Exactly. This is the that's the the heart of it. The value it is the heart placed on the work, right?
0: It's the value on the work. So when I started this, it was about making the invisible visible. And I know I keep alluding to it, but for those who don't know what Fair Play became, it started as a should I do spreadsheet with all those nine women from the Breast Cancer March that ended up being a nine-month project that was an Excel spreadsheet that turned into 2,000 items of invisible work. This idea that making the invisible visible was what I wanted to do because I had heard of the term second shift, emotional labor, invisible work. I started to research those terms after that breast cancer march. And in 1986, we had a sociologist named Arlene Kaplan Daniels argue that the invisible work of the home will always fall on women regardless of whether they work out of the home because we needed to because otherwise society would have to pay for it. And so that was where I started with understanding that regardless of whether women worked out of the home, this work that we're doing is invisible. And then on top of it, so many men would say to me, I make my partner's life. So what I want to tell you about this tech entrepreneur was he brought, wanted to bring fair play to his workplace last year during uh, International Women's Month. You know, that's March. And he was so lovely because he had been playing fair play because fair play, again, it turned in from that spreadsheet to a hundred card game where it's not about 50-50, it's about fairness, perceived fairness to both parties. So again, Caitlin, that system could work for people who want to have somebody shoulder 99 of the cards and have their partner hold one. It could work for people who want to have 50-50 of the cards divided. But when you hold a fair play card, whether it's extracurricular sports or groceries, the key message is that you hold it with ownership the way you do in the workplace but the home we don't work in systems which made no sense to me so why it's so hard though why this movement is so hard to say an hour holding your child's hand in the pediatrician's office is just as valuable as an hour in the boardroom so i'll give you an example there is a tech engineer he says we play fair play in our home i have a stay-at-home partner who used to also work at this tech company with me but uh, they have a fourth child who is in the NICU She decided to um, stay back with that child. And he loves fair play because he says he learned to really value her labor. But he also told me that he's sponsoring two single mothers on his team. That's a very important piece for him as a leader, that these two single mothers on his team can rise up as as much as he did. But then he tells me, Caitlin, (laughs) that... There's no way later on in the conversation, about 20 minutes later, he just says, I just want to tell you how grateful I am for valuing the unpaid labor of my wife, because there's no way I could do my job if it wasn't for her. You know, I'm traveling all the time. There's just no way. So I said, I really appreciate that you said that. But by framing it that way, you just told me that the single mothers on your team can't do your job. And so then we ended up not doing a program together because he got really freaked out by that, that connection. But the reason why I tell you that is because even the people out there who value, who say they value the work of somebody in the home, they are still assuming, right, that that's the only structure that can make somebody rise. It's valuable
1: because it increases their ability to become more monetarily successful.
0: Exactly. And, and, and dual ambition couples in this country have a harder time. And, and because the problem is we look at it just as money. So I would call your household, right? You're a dual ambition household, right? You have a very big platform. You, I will argue you pro- your work over time. You're the one who will get the Wikipedia page. Probably your work over time is going to be more important, but because we just place monetary value on our work, especially as women, We don't see the value that we bring. So that's why I wrote a whole second book, which is dedicated to stay-at-home partners. And that's called Find Your Unicorn Space, this idea that regardless of whether you work outside the home for pay, being somebody outside of being a parent and a partner and a professional matters. So that's a long, long answer. But I wanted to give you the context for how I look at this, not as a working mother versus stay-at-home mother type uh, movement. It's really a movement to value the unpaid labor in the home and for women to see that their most valuable currency, their time shouldn't just be assumed to be given away for free. Let's talk about what your deck is all about. So what these cards are, they represent every single thing that it takes to run a home and family. In 17 countries.
1: Will you do me a favor? Will you just take like 10 cards off the top and read them so we can just get a little example? Yes, please.
0: Yes. All right. So let's just watching of kids. That's one card. Um, Fun and playing with kids. Returns and store credits. I'm just going random here. Friendship and social media for kids. Packing and unpacking backpacks. Uh, Pets. And serious illness is another one. Packing and unpacking for travel, diapering and potty training, first aid, safety, and emergency, extracurricular sports, marriage and romance, that's a card, uh, informal education for kids, that means who's, are going to? Lo- your kids going to learn to tie their shoes or ride a bike, glitch in the matrix, that's my favorite card, the daily disruption. What's that? This is, you ask who's holding the card today, this week, this year, if our kid gets sick. Who is going if they get, to get the kid? if they get bounced from a play date, if they their their ankle rolls during their basketball practice and they're supposed to be there at seven, and the coach calls you at five thirty to pick them up, who goes? Right. So is it assumed because of your gender that you are going to be the one? I mean, schools assume that women will be the ones to pick up kids from the from school when they're sick, but I don't assume that.
1: I mean, I always text the mom when it's like a play date or something and I'm the one doing all of that. Yeah.
0: Well, even Paperless Post doesn't allow us to put two email addresses uh, when you're inviting people to a party. So nobody, our societies, whether it's our schools, our invitation services, nobody makes it easy for us, Caitlin, to unpack the, the she faults. It just—it's not easy.
1: I just, yeah, I do think that there is this this long way to go in terms of reaching that place for so many couples and so many families. I just feel like my role isn't valued societally at all. There's no way to monetize what I. There's no way to quantify what I do, but I really kind of I need to feel like I'm being successful, and part of that is being valued by not just. Society, but by my partner, you don't have to be the woman just nagging your husband like I need you to look at this, all this stuff I do, look at my side of the deck, you know this or that. it's more like listen i want I want to sh- talk about this like I appreciate you and everything you do for this family. Thank you for like your role, you know, on a really deep intimate personal feelings level like. For the strength of your relationship going forward, value and appreciation is just
0: key. Well, you know why it makes it so hard, Caitlin? Because when you know that an organization thrives on boundaries, systems, and communication, and you realize that there's none of those in, in people's homes, of course it's gonna to lead to to a devaluate devaluation of people's roles. It's gonna to lead to um, defensiveness it's going to lead to feedback in the moment where the only way you're you're communicating about the home is transactionally I need you to take him to school I didn't do this you know what where why didn't you you know the this this sort of nails on the chalkboard type communication style and then men tell me that they have severe avoidance because they don't want to be talked to that way their ego is being hurt by not being able to do anything right so this whole cycle of The lack of communication, the no systems and the, and, and the lack of boundaries is very, very painful. But why Caitlin, I think there's so much pain for women is because of the boundaries issue, because this took me a decade to really understand and to internalize that I deserved choice over how I use my time because Seth always made more money than me. Even though I was more educated, and again, I think my work will end up being more valuable for the world, there was this fundamental conditioning since we were born to breach our boundaries, for women to be able to give away our most valuable currency, our time for free. I like to say in fair play, right? We've conditioned women to treat their time like it's infinite, like sand. And we've conditioned men and society to treat men's time as if it's finite, like diamonds. And if you don't believe me, right, you just have to look at health systems. I went to health systems where I still find in 2023, health systems for young mothers, for new mothers are telling women that breastfeeding is free when it's 1,800 hours a year. It's a full-time job. If you don't believe me, just watch what happens when women enter male professions. Salaries automatically come down. Um, we, and then what happens is that since birth, women have heard these messages that our time is less valuable. And so we internalize those messages and we say to ourselves, my job is more flexible. So I should be the one picking up our child from school or taking the step back. We say to ourselves in the time it takes me to tell him or they what to do, I should do it myself. We say to ourselves, I'm wired differently for care. Somehow I'm a better multitasker. Uh, we we say things to ourselves. Yeah, we're both colorectal surgeons, but my partner is so much better at focusing on one task at a time and I can find the time. So all I can tell you, Caitlin, is we're not Albert Einstein, right? We can't fuck with the space-time continuum. All there, All we can do is understand that we can't find time and that we deserve equal time choice over how we use our day. And by the way, the card's Starting with extracurricular sports for Seth was a huge breakthrough for us. And what Seth will say to me, the big change for him was me finally asserting a boundary saying, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I love you. I want to stay in this partnership. But if you get three hours of time choice out after our kids go to bed where you can work out, check a PowerPoint presentation, watch sports Center, where I do things in service of our kids till the moment my head hits the pillow, two hours after you've already gone to bed. That fundamental unfairness is what has to change. My time is diamonds, and that's what I care about. That's the boundary we're talking about today.
1: Yeah. As women, I think we tend to hold on to the control over these tasks in a way, in a martyr-like way, you know, to um, prove that we are the best at doing all of this stuff. And if you really kind of feel like it's time to make a change in your life and your relationship around these issues, you've got to be ready to relinquish that control for a while and let things unravel a little bit while you figure it out, which can be really hard to do. I think it's like we need to get, because we all feel so strapped for time, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, Just such a thought-provoking topic. I'm really psyched I had the opportunity to watch the documentary alongside my husband. I think it was really useful for him to see it as well because I think it's like women know, women get what's being said, but men need to see it as well. Um, Just to start the
0: wheels turning. The wheels turning. And can I tell you, Caitlin, you just said something that I think is really important to end on, but it's this idea, like you said, of control. One of the hardest days for me in my research was sitting down with a top neuroscientist when I was learning and starting to unpack this aha moment that women 's time was just completely devalued like sand. I sat down with this neuroscientist, you know with my like research hat on and my pad and my paper, and I said to him and he was he was being funded by one of my clients, so he gave me access to him, which it was really hard to get and I really thought I would hear a different answer I said, you know tell me how." there's gender differences in the brain around multitasking, uh, around care, you know, how are women wired differently? And he just like gave me this like blank stare. He's like, do you mean like from your perspective, like from sociology or wherever you're at research, or do you mean from like neuroscience perspective? And I said, well, I'm here to hear the neuroscience perspective. And he looked at me and he said, Eve, there's no gender difference for task switching which is bad for everybody. There's no, women are not wired differently for, for care. Um, the brain is plastic for anybody to care give. Um, in fact, probably men are better at multitasking if you look at it, you know, by gender. So, but then he said something that changed my life. He said to me, but from your perspective, not neuroscience, if I could, as a man, condition you to believe that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes, then I get tenure. I get golf time and you want to do it. You take pride in it. And so that, that was the, mo- that was the, probably the harshest message I had received in my fair play journey. And I started, I started to cry in his office. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck.
1: And what you said about task switching, like going from A to B to C back to A to C to B, it's not good for your brain, right? It's fucking making my head scrambled eggs. And I don't want that. Like I want my husband's brains to be scrambled eggs right next to mine one day, you know? Yes,
0: exactly. And then when you have systems in place, that's the point. Your 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 head becomes less scrambled. If you know who's taking the dog out in advance, That's the power of systems. You both get time back. You both don't die in decision fatigue. So if I can't convince you from a gender equity perspective, I want to be able to convince you from an efficiency perspective. And again, as you said earlier, I don't believe that most of us have that in our homes. If you go to Fair Play Life, another really beautiful way to use it with kids is there are all the cards online? You don't have to buy them. You, you you know you can watch the documentary for free on Hulu and just click on the website. But the one you're supposed to tell people to oh they buy they, the can cards, they can too they can. But the truth is I want everybody to access this inf- this information. So if you go on the Fair Play Life website, there's some you scroll down to view the cards. You will see each of the cards, and when you click on the card, you scroll down. It will explain to you every step that it takes to do a certain task, One of the most fun things I do with my sons who are 14 and 11 is have them click on a card and ask them what it would take to complete that task from start to finish. That is executive function conception, planning and execution. What fair play is, is at the end of the day, just an executive function exercise. So your kids can do it too. Ask them what it takes to plan a birthday party. See. And then the fun part, the game is I always say to like, Ben, you know, I'll give you a penny for every task you get. And, you know, and we'll take a penny away for the ones you miss. So we would go through birthday parties and he would say, okay, you have to book a bouncy house. You have to call a place. You have to pick a date. You have to look at the list of school to see who I want to invite. We start to really go through what it takes to complete a task from start to finish.
1: Oh, amazing. And uh, what what some lucky, lucky partner is going to get one of your sons. (laughs) <laughs> know what is
0: up. They're good boys, I will say, so far, knock wood. They're to they do, they do with a lot of misogyny on TikTok. I will tell you that. We are combating and combating these things where there's a whole TikTok of traditional wives who say they never, you know, they don't, they just want to be served by their partners. Men are defined as breadwinners on TikTok. They call women sandwich makers. It's a real toxic environment out there. So, thank you for engaging in these messages because, unfortunately, you're a cultural warrior, Caitlin, in this with me now. I will never let you go um, because once you see this, you don't unsee it. And we're going to have to just keep fighting, fighting against those tides, those misogynistic tides.
1: Absolutely. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm excited to go. We'll, we're, we are going to do this again and talk about the unicorn right. space too. Um, It was an absolute delight talking with you. I know that you um, will be helping so many people listening to this episode today and have already helped thousands upon thousands of others. And I just want to thank you um, so much for the work that you've done. It's a lot of effort and just the conviction that you had to believe in yourself and know that this was important enough to spend all that time on um, the women and the mothers of this world. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you too. Thank you for amplifying all these messages. Uh, Again, with that humor and rigor that you bring, um, I'm just, I feel happy to know you.
1: Mm, Same here, same here. You guys can find Eve on Insta at Eve Rodsky and check out her her website, fairplaylife.com. All right, Eve, thanks again for coming. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. For more information on today's episode, visit my show notes. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a review. Now get yourself a snack.